0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Memetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host Simon Skidmore. Today we'll continue our study of Genesis as we pick up Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 15. You may recall that Abraham was called to leave behind everything he ever knew to pursue a new life free from mimetic rivalry. Determined to avoid memetic rivalry at all costs, Abraham is willing to give up his wife, Sarai, to avoid engaging in rivalry with Pharaoh the king of Egypt. In the last podcast we saw Abram refusing to engage in mimetic rivalry with his nephew Lot by allowing him to choose the best of the land for himself. While Lot chooses the fertile Jordan Valley, the Lord promises to give the land of Canaan to Abram and his descendants. Let's pick up the story now from chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, The Lord claims to be Abram's shield and that his reward will be very great. Within the context of a world characterized by mimetic rivalry between enemy tribes, the Lord promises to protect Abram like a shield. Note that a shield is a defensive piece of war equipment. The Lord has not promised to be Abram's sword to wipe out his enemies, but rather a shield to protect him from the violence which surrounds him. In other words, Avram may continue in his non mimetic lifestyle with the assurance that he will be kept safe from the violence which surrounds him. Perhaps there is something in this promise for us also. This passage presents a God of love and compassion who cares for the plight of the poor and oppressed. When we tempted to fight back against those who inflict violence upon us, this story reminds us the Lord will be a shield to us in times of trouble. When threatened by the rivalry which surrounds us, we do not need to reciprocate violence back upon perpetrators because the Lord will shield us from danger. Moreover, the reward promised to Avram in this passage is the spoil of a warrior who destroys an enemy. In the last chapter, we saw Avram refuse to take his share of the spoil when he rescued Lot. Now the Lord assures Avram that he will receive his share of the spoil, albeit spoil of a different kind. Instead of receiving the spoils of war, Avram will now become a great nation. Yet, Avram is currently childless. In this text, Avram voices his frustration that he and his wife Sarai have been unable to conceive a child. Although Avram has tried to avoid engaging in mimetic rivalry with others over certain objects, an heir is the one object which he desires intensely. The danger for Avram is that his pursuit of an heir will ultimately consume him. This danger is addressed in the Lord's promise to Avram that he will indeed have numerous descendants. As Avram accepts and believes this promise, he is set free from the desire which threatens to consume him. No longer must Avram struggle and strive to achieve an heir because he trusts that the Lord will make it happen. Through the divine promise and Avram's act of faith, the responsibility to produce an heir shifts from his own shoulders to that of the Lord. Such is the power of faith. Avram's belief in a God of love and compassion who will provide for his every need allows him to lay aside his anxiety concerning his inability to produce an heir. In this way, Avram is considered just or righteous because he does not engage in mimetic rivalry with others, striving over desired objects, but rather he lives in peace with others. Faith in a God of love and compassion can help us live a life of peace with others when we leave behind our fears and anxieties and our rivalry with others over desired objects, when we trust this God to meet our every need. Reading on now from verse 7. And he said to him, I am the LORD who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O LORD GOD, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him these, all cut in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove these away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness came upon him. The Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment upon the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Avram, saying, To your offspring in this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river euphrates the land of the kenites the kenizzites the cadmonites the hittites the perizzites the rephaim the amorites the canaanites the girgashites and the jebusites now let's start by acknowledging that this odd ritual of butchered animals laid out in halves serves a specific role in the narrative, namely, to assure Avram that he will possess the land promised to him. As scholars have noted, the events described in this passage are modelled on an ancient covenant ritual. In this ritual, one party would declare their allegiance to another with a binding oath. The smoking fire pot which passes through the slaughtered animal carcasses in this story represents the Lord's assurance to Avram that his descendants will eventually inherit the land of Canaan. So let's not get too carried away with potential symbolic meanings of slaughtered animals and smoking firepots, but simply recognize that the ritual in this story would have been understood by ancient readers as an affirmation of the Lord's promise to Avram. For an ancient Israelite reader living in Babylon, this affirmation is particularly important because it offers hope that the people of Israel will one day return to their land. Notice also the revelation that before Israel inherits the land, they will spend 400 years as aliens and slaves in the land of Egypt. Within the narrative's immediate context, this 400-year period describes the story of Israel's liberation in the book of Exodus, and suggests to the ancient reader that they will eventually experience a similar liberation from their Babylonian captors. In a nutshell, this narrative describes a God who promised to liberate his people from their darkness and affliction, and bring them into a new era of of peace and prosperity. One more comment on this idea that birds of prey come to eat the animals. Within the Jewish worldview, birds of prey are considered unclean. To prevent these birds from making the carcasses of the animals unclean, Avram must shoo them away. Like these birds, doubts and negative thoughts often lead us to question the goodness of God and His promise to deliver His people from affliction. When these thoughts arise, we must follow Avram's example by fending them away and reminding ourselves that our God, the God of Avram, is a God of peace and compassion. When we fail to do so, we get dragged into mimetic rivalry with others because we think that it's up to us, it's our responsibility to wrest these desired objects from other people's grasp. Let's pick up the story now in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Avram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Avram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain a child by her. And Avram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Avram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Avram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Avram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Avram, May the wrong done to me be done on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Avram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your hand. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. And she fled from her. This story is really about Sarai and her struggle with mimetic rivalry. Sarai wants a child, and her inability to conceive feeds this desire. As an object to achieving her desire, Sarai's apparent infertility drives her to conceive a child through any means possible. Sarai determines to conceive a child through her slave, Hagar. And by these means, she finally achieves her desired object. We are told that when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked upon Sarai with contempt. Now, what is not immediately obvious in the English translation here is that this idea of contempt is conveyed by the Hebrew verb Kalal, which we have already seen throughout the book of Genesis. This verb is often translated elsewhere as curse. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the Lord promises to curse anyone who kalals Avram. If you recall, we spoke about this idea in Genesis 12, verse 3, that those who engage in mimetic rivalry with one another are under a curse, in that their violence and rivalry will be reciprocated back upon their own heads. So this idea of the verb kalal communicates the concept of engaging in mimetic rivalry. Here in Genesis 16, we find Hagar, Sarai's Egyptian slave, engaging in rivalry with her mistress over the desired object, her son. As they engage in mimetic rivalry for possession of the infant, Hagar and Sarai become doubles of one another imitating each other so intensely, these two doubles become so alike that Hagar threatens to steal her mistress's unique identity as Avram's wife. Sarai expresses her frustration and fears to Abraham, saying, May the wrong done to me be done on you. Actually, the word translated wrong in this verse is the word hamas, which is translated literally as murderous violence. It was Hamas that polluted the land and precipitated the mimetic crisis in the flood narrative of Genesis 6 and 8. So Sarai is claiming that Hagar has treated her in a violent way, either literally or figuratively. Despite her strong claims, Avram refuses to be drawn into the rivalry, telling Sarai to treat Hagar as she sees fit. Again in this passage we see Avram refusing to engage in mimetic rivalry, which may or may not be commendable in this case. Should Avram have interceded on Hagar's behalf with Sarai? In chapter 14 we saw Avram intercede for his nephew Lot by inflicting violence upon his enemies in a military campaign. Here in chapter 16 we have the afflicted slave Hagar who is being oppressed by Sarai we are told that Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar. The verb translated as dealt harshly in this verse is the same verb we saw in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, when Avram was told that his descendants would be afflicted or dealt harshly for 400 years. In other words, Sarai treated her rival and Egyptian slave Hagar The same way the Egyptians would treat Avram's descendants in the Exodus story. So should Avram intervene? Should he have let Sarai treat Hagar in this way? You can decide. From a mimetic perspective, Egypt's affliction of the Israelite people represents an imitation of Sarai's original oppression of her Egyptian slave Hagar. Maybe not in a historical sense in that Egypt looked back on this incident and said, let's get them and let's oppress them. But rather in a literary sense, it functions that way within the Pentateuch because we can look back and see that Egypt's treatment of the Israelite people was a direct inversion of this incident. Let's read on now from verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'a Laharoi, It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Avram a son, and Avram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Avram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Avram. If the beginning of this chapter was about Sarai's engagement in mimetic rivalry, these latter verses tell the story of Hagar's expulsion and conversion straight up we are told that hagar is sitting by a spring of water as robert alter has famously noted the spring of water functions as a type in the biblical text in the biblical text couples seem to meet at the spring of water and then go on to get married both jacob and moses meet their spouses in this same way the spring of water may symbolize fruitfulness who knows But it is very significant that in this passage the Lord meets Hagar by a spring of water. This detail suggests that a new relationship, a new beginning, is about to begin. The Lord meets Hagar when she is at her most hopeless and asks her where she has come from and where she's going. Hagar replies and tells the Lord that she has fled from her mistress, but she cannot say where she is going because she does not know. She is lost, homeless, and destitute. In her darkest hour, the Lord appears to Hagar and promises to multiply her offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. This is huge. Up until this point in the narrative, the focus has been upon Avram and his story. The Lord promises that his offspring will be multiplied so much that counting them is impossible. Now the same promise is given to Hagar, the escaped Egyptian slave runaway who dared to engage in mimetic rivalry with her mistress Sarai. Right here, in her darkest hour, the Lord meets Hagar and restores her hope. Such is the nature of the God of Avram. The Lord is a God of peace and love even when his people fail to imitate this example. Even though Sarai shames and mistreats Hagar, the Lord seeks her out and mends her broken heart. Even when God's people turn a blind eye to impression and injustice, the Lord does not. The Lord does not play favourites, but rather sees and intervenes on Hagar's behalf, even when no one else will. Hagar is told to call her son Ishmael, which means God hears and she sees the well Bir Lahai Roy, that is, the well of the living seeing God. In case we missed it, these names drive home the Lord's identity as the God who sees the affliction of the outcast and scapegoat and intervenes on their behalf. We are told that Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against his kinsmen. In other words, Ishmael will become deeply ingrained in mimetic rivalry with everyone else around him. As Ishmael engages in mimetic violence with his brothers, he does not follow in the footsteps of Avram, who avoids mimetic rivalry at all cost. Avram's reluctance to engage in mimetic rivalry is what sets him apart from all the other peoples of the land, including his own son, Ishmael. Thanks again for joining me on the Memetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Memetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.